In a sense, yes, because I think you saw it as a bureaucratic headache as an employer. There's that risk that, oh, isn't it just so much simpler if everyone works Monday to Friday? I know where they're going to be at work, it's more straightforward. And now you're asking me to process different working patterns and arrangements for each individual person. Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship Program, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support to continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. Flexible working is a big topic, obviously, and it's really easy to talk to people who agree with me that it's a great thing and who've always been bought in by the whole concept. But I think we really need to talk to people about flexible working who initially thought it was a bit of a burden and potentially a bad idea, but then changed their minds. We need to find out what makes them think differently so we can convince others as well. Today's conversation is with the incredibly honest James Lloyd. He is an HR director. He has experience of working in various sectors, various organizations, and at the moment works with SMEs. And I think it's just so interesting to hear him talk about how he's changed his views and actually how we can deal with some of the outdated views on flexible working. He's very honest, which I think always makes for a great podcast. If you want to get involved in any of these conversations or the work that we do, you can do that through two things. One, head over to leadersplus.org.uk if you haven't already and sign up to the newsletter there. You'll receive updates about events, about our fellowship program and so on. But also, if you can, if you find what you're hearing today thought-provoking, then do share this podcast with two or three people via perhaps a text or an email, two or three people that really could benefit because then you're helping us spread the word and also help us make a bigger difference with this podcast. Thank you in advance for your help and enjoy today's conversation. Okay, so very warm welcome, James, to the podcast. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, your family and what you do for work? No problem at all. So my name is James Lloyd. I am, I guess, for want of a better term, a freelance HR director, working with mainly small and medium-sized companies on a a kind of fractional basis. I'm self-employed. I'm also married with two daughters, nine and 12. Wonderful. And we were introduced because you were the HR director of one of our fellows on the program. Is that right? Yes. We worked together for uh, a number of years, in fact, in a large multinational corporate environment so uh, very different to working with small companies and family businesses and startups we were, we were very much in a in a much larger machine i can imagine i can imagine and the reason why lisa introduced us is because i was really interested and i've been interested for a while in people changing their view on flexible working because let's be honest we can all talk once we're convinced flexible working is great we can all talk to people who agree with us but actually let's be honest we are probably in a minority and for me myself I've really changed my Mm. mind so I always knew vaguely that flexible working was a good thing and was something that we should be doing but in reality I really dreaded it if someone came to me with a flexible working request 
10. <laughs> I'll have to think about whether or not to edit that out. Actually, I won't edit it out because I think it's important to stay honest. But yeah, when someone came to me with a flexible working request, my I really cringed on so many levels. I, f- I thought it was really challenging and so on and so forth. But obviously now I'm very much reformed and everyone in my team does work flexibly and we're doing really well with it. Hmm. Why don't we start with when you first came across flexible working? Can you tell us a bit more about where you were in your career and what your opinion was of flexible working? Yeah, I, I mean, the, probably the earliest interactions with it, given my age and my time in work, it was probably in my 20s, pre-marriage and children. And at the time in the UK in particular, you know, legislation was changing for the first time to allow people to request more flexible ways of working. And I would say as a young 20-something male, I, I didn't really hold an especially strong opinion one way or the other. I was fairly neutral about it. Inevitably, I think when when you're that age, or at least I was, your mind view is probably a bit selfish. So if it doesn't directly impact you, you don't give it too much thought. Other than from a professional point of view, where I had a, a professional responsibility to handle the requests that came in and help companies facilitate them. And I just did that as appropriately when that happened. And it was at the time, probably still the norm for people to work Monday to Friday on a full-time basis. So suddenly people asking to not work on a Friday or work shortened hours seemed a little strange. And, you know, you did your best to put your, to try and get your head around that as a different way of working. But it was, it was complicated. And I think at the time I was very struck by how much resistance there was to it. Mm. And at the time, did you see flexible working as a problem? And I presume it would have landed on your desk quite a lot, given you worked in HR. Did you see it as a problem? Yeah, I mean, in in the sense, yes, because I think you saw it as a bureaucratic headache as an employer. Mm. There's that risk that, oh, isn't it just so much simpler if everyone works Monday to Friday? I know where they're going to be at work, it's more straightforward. And now you're asking me to process different working patterns and arrangements for each individual person. So, yeah, I don't think personally I was was fundamentally against it, Mm. but it felt like extra work. And in that regard, it mm. just felt like another burden, which is a very narrow-minded view, I now yeah, realise. But, yeah. you know, that was my first experience of it. And that was a very much how I think I processed it in my own head. And I lacked really the empathy to really understand where people were coming from. Because at that life stage, I'd never had anything mm. put pressure on me to force me to have to work in a way than mm. I already mm. had. So... You you really lack that capability to live in someone else's shoes and see it from their perspective. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And in reality, a lot of the people listening to this will have to run their flexible working request by someone who will see it as, oh no, this is going to be an extra to-do thing on my list. And actually, just before we came Hmm. online, we discussed that everyone (laughs) seems to be living by to-do lists these days. And this is just a a thing that could be added. Yeah. Yeah, And so... You obviously changed your mind on this, and I'm just interested in what triggered it. Was there any particular moment, any particular conversation? I think it happened gradually, and the catalyst would have been a couple of things. One was having kids, which I think is, is not an uncommon story for a lot of people. So probably for the first time in my life, I had a significant responsibility outside of work. And it also happened to coincide with a period in my career where my accountabilities were increasing. I was moving into more senior roles. And, and so actually two things came into conflict quite quickly in a way that hadn't happened previously. My work was asking me for more 
and my home life was asking me for more and those two things clashed together in a pretty spectacular way which was probably the moment where I had my first kind of change in thinking about about what it meant and with hindsight what I adapted to was the wrong thing but it was it did change. Mm. So how did you change in that situation? So it's interesting the first phase of phase one was just happily treading along no responsibilities outside of work working full-time ticking along very nicely then all of a sudden more responsibility at work more responsibility outside of work and you know my first phase was flexible working actually really just meant taking the discretion to find different ways to work harder and longer right so yes it was a trade-off if I wanted to spend more time at home I could do so but then I had to make up that time somewhere else and instead what happened is you just I ended up working every hour that was sent just to try and claw back a few here you know a few hours here or there to do a nursery run or spend some meaningful time with my kids after school or or whatever else and it came to a head at one point where I and I remember it was my birthday actually and I just I got tonsillitis a classic sign for me of getting run down was picking up tonsillitis and I think I'd had it for the third or fourth time in about a 24 month period which you know should have been a clearer warning sign and I got really sick on my birthday and I couldn't celebrate it with my kids. And I just thought to myself, you idiot, you've done this to yourself. You've driven yourself into the ground to trying to fit this life and work together. And it clearly hasn't worked. And now you've made yourself ill and you can't even celebrate your own birthday with your children. You know, they've made me a cake and so on. And I just thought, what a loser. And so it was a, that was the first moment for me. So I thought to myself, I can't, it just doesn't work that way. It's just that flexibility did not mean I let work slip into all the spare cracks in my life. I have to start to carve out time for the meaningful things in my work. So work has to have a place, home life has to have a place, and there has to be a place for recovery time. That was probably the tipping point for me to to slip into kind of the next phase of how I thought about my work. And again, this was a stage when I was working in a fairly senior role, big corporate, used to travel a fair amount. It was quite a significant demand on me. And i I became much more protective of my time and my balance and what work I did and how flexibly I did it. So the next phase was really much more, I set myself a target of when I worked, how long I worked. So I was much stricter about my hours and the boundaries in and around them. And I poured my time and energy into being as efficient as I could in terms of what I got done in those time. But once I kind of reached my limit, that was it. I wasn't going to do any more. And I applied myself for the people that work for me to try and offer the same protection to allow them to live their lives in the same way, if that was possible. So it was almost as if let's, let's accept that our work environment around us will take as much as it can if we let it. So let's not let it. And mm. that, that worked okay for a while. It was hard graft to try and manage those boundaries, quite exhausting in its own way. But generally I found that way around it and I guess that was probably my life for five six years and then I had I guess my fourth epiphany or my you know my moment where I changed my mindset again which coincided with me leaving that role and leaving corporate life when I think that again I think it was just stepping away from that big multinational type of work and it occurring to me that actually trying to do that was just really not really fixing the problem. I wasn't really facing into the reality that the type of work I was doing was incompatible 
with a healthy work-life balance. And it was better. It was better than what I was doing before when I was nearly killing myself. But really, I was just in a constant phase of conflict with my employment and with the job I did. The two things just could not exist harmoniously for whatever reason. Job design, the nature of working for big companies, some big companies, it just was never going to work. And I think now I came to the current phase of my life, which is to say, rather than trying to fit my life with work in conflict, do you know what? I'm just going to live my life and I'm going to try and fit work around when it suits me. And the only way to do that was to go self-employed and part-time. So yeah, so I did a lot of the talking there. <laughs> I hope that made sense. No, brilliant. Well, that's why I asked you to be on the podcast. So that's perfect. So do you think, just your personal opinion, do you think it is possible in a big corporate to be in a senior role and generally have boundaries and not get burnt out? What's your view on that? I hate to be really binary and sort of give a yes or no answer to most things because life is so much more textured than that. Let me say I think it's very, very difficult. And the reason I think it's very difficult is that I think I think large companies are often designed to extract from people the maximum amount of work that they can. And I think it's very difficult to fight the system in that way. And I think that, that a lot of those companies talk about diversity and they talk about enabling leaders coming through. And I think they pay lip service to it. I don't think they believe that to their core. You go and dig under the surface and you go looking for role models at board level or on their advisory boards or even on their senior leadership teams. And you'll hear a lot of blah, blah, blah. And they'll be populated by People who have partners that don't work, that pick up everything at home. You'll have people with no children. You'll have people with no care responsibilities. You know, they're not looking after elderly parents and so on and so forth. So I, I think we're more articulate in how we talk about the debate. I think we've made some progress, some, but not nearly enough. But I think the reality is at a very senior level, it's still far too difficult to have those other things in your life and conduct a senior role. I just don't think, honestly, they're is the desire to change. Sorry, that sounds really bleak. I don't mean it to. I do think that's, that's the reality. Can it be done? Yeah, I think it can be done. I just think it lacks the incentive and the desire, which is a shame. Mm. I think what we need is in organizational objectives and even in manager objectives, performance indicators around mm. whether you make people feel that they have an adequate workload and whether you they feel that they want to stay working for you um, without getting burned out. I think unless you have that accountability for making it good for people, and some pockets within big corporates do have that, but it's just mm. few and far between. Unless you have that accountability, nothing is going to change. But I really believe that we need to support the next generation coming up, so those who are in middle leadership now, to somehow make it work in order for them to change the organizations when they come to senior leadership. Because if everyone who is in those stages, middle or early senior leadership stage, tends to leave, then you're not going to really change the organization. So I really do think we need change. Yeah. So if someone hears this and says, right, okay, James says it's pretty difficult and nearly impossible, but I still am crazy enough to try and I do want to get to a senior leadership role while still having young children yeah. and actually seeing those young children. Is there anything practical that you would tell them to do now in order to increase their chances of having, I guess, a happy life and at the same time a senior role and enjoy their children? 
first and foremost, I think happiness in itself is an interesting question. It really is. And, and actually, there's lots of science around happiness now, which is well worth the time and effort of researching it. So I think really, if you're thinking about your career, I think knowing what makes you happy in your life actually is, is pretty important because we live in this, we're plugged into a, many of us, into a fully capitalist system where we are, it's instructed to us from an early age that material wealth is often the be all and end all of the measure of success in our lives. And don't get me wrong, capitalism has delivered a number of significant goals and significant life changes for many people in terms of wealth, health and education, which are not to be forgotten. However, it is also a system which is based on the pursuit of a materialism and it's also unsustainable in its current guise without better parameters. I think first and foremost, the first question you have to ask yourself is what do I want from my life? Just generally in terms of what makes me happy. But I imagine for a lot of people that work plays a part of it, but there are, there are going to be other components to it. It might not be an easy question to answer fully and it may be one you have to continue to revisit. But if you're pursuing a senior role in a company, the question you've got to ask yourself is what and how compatible is that with my pursuit of happiness? Is that what I want? Is that what I want? Because it's going to take some graft to do it. So you've got to be sure you, if you're going after it, you're doing it for the right reasons. So they, maybe that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is if that's right for you individually and you feel as if you want to go change it, then in practical terms, how do you, how do you go about it? You've got to be super efficient in your life. You've got to grab technology in every way, shape and form to in order you to to get things done as quickly and efficiently and as effectively as possible, right? You just can't enter into it flying by the seat of your pants. You just don't have that luxury. There won't be enough hours in the day in order to pursue it. So that's embrace technology, embrace being super organized and whatever techniques and tools you can do in order to get there. I think the second thing is where possible, surround yourself with allies. And that starts from the person that you work for. So choose carefully who is going to be your boss and who you're going to work for and frankly walk away from a job if you can if you have red flags in and around you if your boss or one or two of the colleagues around you are not receptive to managing the boundaries of your life you won't succeed i just don't think you will because they just won't support you in the way you do so choose carefully on who your boss should be and the type of people that you want to work with those things may be a practical terms can i ask what questions would you ask at an interview or if you go for a coffee with a potential boss to find out whether they're really switched on about supporting flexible working i would say that's a good question i would say get them to talk about their working week how do they conduct their life and their work that's probably the best indicator now it's not perfect because i've known of bosses who actually have a very poor work-life balance for themselves or struggle to manage their work flexibly, but who actually can be very supportive to others. It's almost like, don't do as I do. Mm. I, I can still support you. But actually, that's as big an indication of any in most circumstances. Get them to tell you about how they work life. And if they say, oh, you know, I live my life on an aeroplane, I work 60 hours a week, I'm, I'm work at weekends, red flag, red flag, red flag. That tees out how, how their working pattern exists because that's probably a decent indicator of what's coming away. Mm, mm, I think you're absolutely right. My brother works in medicine as a doctor and obviously that is a field that is notoriously bad for work-life balance. And mm. he asked his new employers about what they, just a basic question of what they expect mm. of their workers. And 
when he gets the message saying, oh, well, we just, you know, we expect extreme flexibility. We expect very long hours. People will still say that. I have to say he works in Switzerland. So maybe that's a slightly different. People are even more frank uh, to talk about these things. <laughs> it's yeah. socially acceptable to exploit yeah. people sometimes there. But yeah, I think I think that's a, a good question. He seemed to have got out a lot of this. I want to ask you something else as well, which is just, you know, you mentioned at the beginning about when you represented with a flexible working request, mm. seeing it as a hassle and something added to a to-do list. So mm. if someone is listening to this and knows that the person they want to talk flexible working with will see it as a hassle, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with a boss who will perceive it like that? Assuming you can't change the boss. You've got to put the mirror up to yourself. At that point, I was looking at it entirely selfishly because I just saw all I saw was problems and complications. This will be harder to manage or this will be more complicated to manage. But when you think about it, actually that's pretty dumb because when you manage or work with other people, what you really want is outcomes. What you really want is whoever can deliver the outcomes that you require to the highest level, right? And how they go about it is actually much less important in terms of the hours and the pattern that they work than I considered at that time and the fact that i couldn't if i couldn't process handling someone with a slightly different working pattern whose fault is that is that their fault or is that my fault well that's my fault because i'm excluding the opportunity to hire smart people on my incapability of dealing with complexity which when you think about it is pretty dim i mean that's just that's a failing as a manager and as a manager i think that the world has got more complicated. It's a little trickier. We live in a more virtual world and people work in different ways. I get it. I get it. But if you invest in yourself as a manager of people, then you have to learn the skills to handle complexity. You have to learn the skills to deal with people coming at it from a different pattern. You have to learn to be able to measure people on what they produce, not on presenteeism. And if you are still managing people in a way that is based on their pattern, and not on their outcomes, then you're probably 15 to 20 years behind where you should be now. Mm. And that's, mm. that's a really big failing. That was the me then versus the me now. You have to hold that mirror up mm. to yourself and say, that's my failing, not the person's. Yeah, and I think most of us can absolutely relate to that. It's not an uncommon mm. thing. And thank you for being so open about it. It's brilliant. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I definitely had the same things go through my mind mm. at the beginning of my career. So when you are proposing a flexible working request to someone who thinks like that, who assumes that this is just an added item to the to-do list, mm. do you then just say, well, actually, I would love to be managed by outcomes. I'm super committed. But what will really help me in this situation is if you can be very clear with me what you want me to achieve, and then I will make mm. it work within the time that I have. Mm. I, would, I would focus the conversation in the first place about outcomes for the role what is required because at the end of the day we are working we are employed and working for organizations and we have to produce something for them to, to be worthy of being paid or you know whether it be a fee or a salary so so starting the conversation around outcomes is, is vitally important when you have on the table what needs to be done then there is an opportunity to work backwards and say okay how are you going to get there with your pattern of work does that provide you with enough or enough time at the right areas in the right moments interacting with the people that you need to interact in order to achieve it and it's got to be not an easy conversation but it's got to be a fairly frank conversation 
because there's going to be tension points in there where it might not quite add up. And you've got to think of what are the tradables here? Is it, do we trade a little on the, on the pattern piece or do we trade a bit on what I can reasonably expect? I think a lot of flexible working arrangements fall down because those, that conversation doesn't take place. And what ends up happening, mm. and frankly, I think it's been happening to women for years, is there is no adjustment on the outcomes for the job, right? They're still expected to deliver exactly the same job as before and they've just got to do it in less time, right? On less money. Mm. That's just, it's like the great confidence trick of part-time working as we suck people into these arrangements where particularly, you know, you get to do brilliant, hey, you get to work four days a week and we're going to pay you 450 a pay and we're not going to adjust any of the outcomes we expect from the job, right? And then we kill people in order to deliver it. So it just needs the frankness of that conversation. Can you adjust the pattern or can you adjust the outcomes? But, but something has to give if you're changing. Something has to give mm. somewhere if it's going to be reasonably mm. achievable. And mm. it's not an easy conversation to have, but I think it's crucial. Mm. I couldn't agree more. If you don't reduce the outcomes, you're not going to really have a proper flexible working request. You'll just get paid less for doing the same amount of work, but potentially on your evenings and weekends. Which is basically what happens to people, right? Mm. That's just been the, the reality. I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, saying that, I get it. Saying it as a, as a bloke, it's sort of hilarious, right? Because women in the workplace have been enduring this for decades upon decades upon decades. And I can say this with more enlightenment now in a way I never could have appreciated in the past. But it is not a new problem. And it's, mm. it's a shame that we haven't, got, we haven't fixed it better than we have now. But we've been totally letting down anyone that works to work to an equivalent pattern and it's failing to appreciate that in our wider society there are care responsibilities which benefit all of us mm. no one lives mm. on an island right you're not immune from the benefits of a healthy and sustainable society around us so you know care responsibilities mm. are real there is a genuine upside to having a broader more diverse workforce to opening up talent in pockets of talent that we can get to we can we can employ more people we can employ the smartest people the more flexible we are about the way in which they can work. Mm. It's almost like we just need to make partly the leap in faith and some of the practical applications of doing it. So picture in your mind the most resistant, actually maybe the second most resistant leader yeah. to this whole conversation. And mm. imagine that one of the people listening to this, they really want to change the mind of that leader. What are the top two or three practical things they should say to that leader to change their mind can i be totally honest please i wouldn't waste the energy on them i'd leave them and go and work somewhere else fair enough sorry i know i i like to think <laughs> people can be converted i think that sometimes they can over time you and i have gone through reflections and observations in our lives and we've amended but in a moment if i think of the really most entrenched people it's hard to imagine that the words and deeds will necessarily convert them it might but if you're looking for the quickest and easiest i'd vote with your feet Fair enough. Sorry, that's a brutal answer, isn't it? Sometimes brutal is good. In terms of choosing an employer, every employer has on their website something about diversity and inclusion. If you're yeah. lucky, they even have a published flexible working policy. How do you sort the ones who really are serious about flexible working from the ones who are not, or even just generally parent inclusion or general inclusion? How do you sort those who are at the forefront from those who just talk to talk? If those things exist and are publicly visible, then I think it's a positive data point, right? I don't think it's a guarantee at all because I think there are companies that pay lip service to it. But the very fact that they have them is at least a data point which would suggest there may be a receptiveness. So that's helpful. I would look for those things. 
I would examine as many other data points as you can to find out about the organization. I mean, I would look at things like Glassdoor. If it's feasible to do so, I would even talk to people in the organization if I could, either through your contacts on LinkedIn, if you've got a second or third contact in the organization that maybe you're thinking about working for. I would tap up those people and ask them, find out what life Mm. is like on the ground. That qualitative data is really helpful. I think in getting the mm. getting the cut of the jib of what a company is is really like on the ground and doing that research in advance. Otherwise, just know that you're taking a chance, right? You're rolling a dice of what you're going into, mm. and don't be afraid to leave if you don't. Need- uh, yeah, ultimately, which is which is scarred, right? Because leaving jobs and once you've put the emotional energy into to do it is of um, course, of course, it's quite important. One thing that occurred to me actually is when you're doing that research, I would also I would also identify who the senior people are in the organization you know the MDs, ceos and members of their leadership team and i would see what they have said or done publicly to support the more diverse workplaces and to support part-time flexible or different ways of working Mm. if they are silent on the subject then you might consider that a red flag however if you have an md that is willing to go public and say I'm supportive of this. Again, it's not a guarantee, but it's a helpful sign because, you know, mm. the role modeling mm. comes from the top often. Absolutely. And obviously my whole background is I really care about people who have caring responsibilities, being able mm. to progress, because I think that's the only way you're going to get gender inclusion at the very senior level. What am I talking about? You know, gender equality rather than Agreed. inclusion. And I think the important thing here is to make sure that just usually I never, you know, I'm someone who just always gets people to stick and I'm just the type of person I will stick in a difficult situation, even if it's really hard because I like to, I like to succeed. But actually when you look at research, women are much more likely to get to senior leadership roles in organizations that favor flexible working. And so I just read a study to that effect last week. And actually, if you look at that data, then it is a very rational thing to do is to choose whether or not you want to stay with an employer mm. in mm. that situation. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So I know I've taken a lot of your time, but I just want to ask you about your thinking about the future world mm. of work. So in your view, what do you think the world of work might look like in 2050? Obviously, when I went to school, we still worked on a Saturday and Saturday was a normal school day, like everyone every, every mm. other day. And now that's completely changed. What do you think mm. will have fundamentally changed in 2050? Gosh, I suppose if we anticipate some of the trends that we're seeing now continuing, 2020 has shown us, right? Life is full of the unexpected. So between now and 2050, there are there is more than enough opportunity for a few twists and turns. So, uh, you know, I guess that's an important caveat. <laughs> Never mind We're 2020. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I look at this question through the eyes of my children, who will be the ones entering the workforce. I think we have to assume that technology will bring a much higher degree of automation to a significant amount of work. So a lot of basic and mundane tasks will be done using technology. So that kind of work will go in many ways. And the things that will endure will be work that surrounds itself around creativity, around nonlinear problem solving. So joining the dots in a way that isn't logical to still come up with the solution, I think is going to be crucial. And I think that the work that we have in the future will require those as necessary skills in general. And if I think about trying to encourage my 
children now, I'm trying to encourage them to embrace technology in all its forms. So I think that's going to be important. I'm trying to encourage them to challenge what's around them and not just assume that what is presented to them is fact. And that includes in the media and also at school, right? You know, schools are, are terrific in lots of ways, but they are very particular and structured in the way that they teach people. And then being able to retain information is actually not going to be a particularly differentiating skill, but being able to amalgamate information from multiple sources and, and use that to be creative is going to be much more of a differentiator. And I think that's how work will look. I think it will be more virtual. I think it will require us to interact with people from multiple different backgrounds in a way that is meaningful much faster than we do now and probably virtually. So I think it's kind of exciting, actually. I think that sounds like a much more fun version of work than some of the mundane jobs that, we, that people have to endure to make a living these days. Mm, right, true. And if people want to find out more about you or your work, where should they go? LinkedIn is my is the best place to come find me. And I I love hearing from people and what they have to say and what their thoughts are on it. Every thought that I hold in my head is no more than a hypothesis. And if someone could come up with a, a different viewpoint backed by data, I'm very flexible in changing my mind and in fact kind of encourage it because some of the some of the best leaps I've made in my own thinking have come because of the input of other people which is wonderful. So uh, LinkedIn is a good shout. I'm always open to a connect. Thank you so much, James. That's been really so provoking and insightful. So really appreciate your time and hope we can continue the conversation in another forum as well. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the questions. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening today. If you are looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are parents across sectors and you want to hear more from wonderful mentors, then do head to leadersplus.org.uk to register interest right now. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please take a moment to share it with three of your friends, send them a WhatsApp message or signal or whatever you're using and leave a review and most importantly, hit the subscribe button. That makes a massive difference because it helps us to reach more people and also will help us as we'll enter the podcasting awards in January. So thank you in advance for supporting this work. Obviously, like with any podcast, five-star reviews really help with the visibility. Until next time, have a wonderful week.